Won't you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Amen. Amen. Mm, big thanks for all of you who came out tonight. Wow. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, I want to give special thanks to Mary Louise for, uh, I wouldn't, I would have probably been gone a long time ago if it hadn't been for her. She is dressed beachy because we're retiring. I am trying to dress preachy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I've known this moment was coming for a while, for a long time, um, more than a year when I sat with Katie and Lisa uh, in a discernment back in May of 22 and took a step in faith that uh, the season was coming to a close. And um, yeah, so more on that later, but the uh, Richmond Hill is a seasonal place and um, everybody who's been through here knows and understands that, that concept pretty well. So I was uh, coming to the what I was anticipating, the end of the season, which we back then said, oh, it'll be the end of the program year 2023, which felt and looked like light years away. And yet here it is. And, you know, I've known about standing up here for quite some time. And I, I got to say, I was very reluctant to begin um, writing this talk. I don't know if a show of hands of any of the pastors here can, can relate to, to, to that. But um, what I, I think as I, as I looked at the worry, I thought, what am I worried about? And I, I think I was worried that maybe it wasn't going to be any good or good enough. Then I had to ask, good enough for who? You know, you guys are, you guys are wonderful. You're, you're good friends. So worry aside, I'm hopeful that if I tell the truth, all will be well. And I promise to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. And if I had to, uh, borrowing, borrowing from some of my esteemed colleagues, uh, the Baptist preachers, I love when they tell you they're not going to title their talk, but they always say, if I had to pen a title on my talk this evening, it'd be, Goodbye to all that, and it's all good. Yeah. So here's what I'd like to cover tonight. Number one, how'd I get here? Number two, what did I do here? 
Number three, where do we go from here? And number four, why does it matter? So how did I get here? Um, it was a two-stroke, a two-step thing. First, it was spiritual direction. I came up here to see the Reverend Dabney Carr for spiritual direction in 1999. Um, I was wrestling with a call to ordain ministry. Well, in addition to being introduced to the practice of spiritual direction, I was introduced to Richmond Hill for my first time, and it was not a pretty sight. In 1999, it looked a lot like it kind of looks now. Every, everything was, was right before the big renovation, so things were a tad rough around the edges. So step one, 1999, and then a little more than a dozen years later on February 22nd, 2012, which happened to be Ash Wednesday, I was in conversation with Reverend Ben Campbell, and he invited me to come discern a call to residential community. So what happened in the 13-year gap? A lot. But I'd just like to say, why did I come here is maybe a better question than how did I get here. Why did I come to Richmond Hill? Uh, turns out I came here to work and pray for the healing and the transformation for myself for my city, but I didn't know that then. What I did know was I came here to find some focus and find my footing. I was in desperate need of some stability, a place to live, move, breathe, and have my being. I came because I was asked, because I needed to be here. I was exhausted, tired from over 40 years of wandering and wondering, who am I and what am I to do? So let's just say I was seeking and I was sought. What did I do here? Well, I was sought to help out with communications. And I was coming out of 34 years in advertising design, uh, a business that I knew pretty well in that early summer of 2012 uh, in June. I came on June 25th. I was the last of three people to come that month. Andrew Terry came, Deborah Stryker came, and I came and entered this wonderful uh, community. So while I was here, I pushed pixels and made materials to let folks know what's happening at Richmond Hill, which was something I knew how to do. But I'm deeply and eternally grateful for the opportunity to learn new lessons in hospitality, welcoming change, and transformation. 
on our front door and also on the back of my shirt, and I would say in the bookstore, so you've got to go to the bookstore when it opens. The Jeremiah verse, seek the welfare of the city to which I have sent you. So I was here for about a year when I had the dream. Um, the lore in the residential community, everybody would always ask the new people, have you had the dream yet? Have you had the dream? So I was like, what dream? What dream? Like the dream, you know, it wasn't, well, I don't know, maybe, I guess dream interpreters will tell you, you know, you don't mess with other people's dreams. Um, but the, the dream that came to me after about a year, uh, I think it was early in the morning, and in this dream, I am flying down Route 33, which has got to be one of the prettiest roads in the Commonwealth of Virginia, between Gordonsville and Harrisonburg. Actually, before you go over... Katie, what's the gap? Is it Big Stone Gap? Or, you know, where, where does 33 go up? But before you get to that, it's a mighty fine piece of road. And I was flying down that road in this dream. And when I say flying, I wasn't Superman flying in a prone position. I was sitting like I was in a car. And I was doing 50, 60 miles an hour. But there was no car. I'm just sitting there, and I'm floating off the road, and I'm making good speed, and I'm counting the dashes under my feet and thinking, man, what a beautiful morning. On my right side, on my left side, it's unfenced pasture land, and it is beautiful. On my right side, it's pasture land that has been fenced. And it's the kind of fence where it's post and rail, you know, three-slat fence, beautifully kept white, and it's boom, 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 zipping by. And I'm feeling high on life and just glad to be there. And all of a sudden, there is a gap in the fence, an opening. It wasn't an opening that was like a driveway. It wasn't an opening that was made by some cows busting loose or some driver um, pulling off, but there was a deliberate opening. And I pulled into that opening in a nanosecond. But this is dream stuff, right? So even though it was quick to get in there, in the, in the time it took to get off the road and into the gap, I realized because the voice told me, your wandering days are over. <laughs> this is your field. I stood in that gap and surveyed a beautiful green field that was bounded by this well-painted fence. It was about an acre of green. And I just took a breath. And then the voice said, this is your field, and there is treasure in it. And then I woke up, 
and I grabbed a pencil and an index card and wrote this down. I've been in Rua, and we'd had the dream interpretation class. Rua is an amazing program. It's a it's it's a smorgasbord of of uh, wonderful wonderful aspects of uh, spiritual growth and formation. But we we talked about dreams and how you interpret it. So I thought, boy, have I got a live one on the wire? I got to work this dream. And as I began to work it, the thing I went to was, so there's a treasure here. How do I find the treasure? And first visualization was I went to the hardware store and got some clamshell postal diggers. And then in my mind's eye, I saw these random dots and piles of dirt, and I thought, no, no, that's not how you do it. Then I thought, I'll be systematic. I'll get the pegs and the string and do it one square at a time, and surely you'll find the treasure. And then I thought, that's going to take a long time. And then um, it occurred to me that the, the grass, who plants a field in grass like that? I mean, it was, it was green fescue. And all I could see was, who's mowing the grass in this field? And I pictured having to mow that lawn, and I thought, whoa, this is, this, who does that? And while I'm getting into this kind of rant, I think it was because I was frustrated that I couldn't figure out how to find the treasure, I saw, I blinked my eyes, and I saw the field differently. I saw it waist high as golden wheat wave and then the wind and I thought ah that's the treasure because that wheat that could feed a lot of people and I thought so the way you get that is um, you got to prepare the soil you got to plant it Um, no disrespect to the gospel reading the Sunday about Jesus giving them the agriculture lesson about let the weeds go. But anyway, you get the drift. And I thought, okay, that's that's something. Uh, that's something. That's that's really something. One last part about this dream that that was just an amazing gift. My spiritual uh, godfather, a fellow that I met second year in college, who's a Baptist minister at First Baptist in New Haven, uh, Joe Delahunt, good, good friend, kind of friend where, you know, we don't get to see each other very often. But when we talk, it's like no time. It's, it's one of those kind of friends. So I called him up uh, after I'd had the dream. That's not why I was calling him. But I got him on the phone, and he said, Richard Rumble, I was supposed to call you. How are you doing? How is Richmond Hill? And I tell him all about Richmond Hill. And then I tell him about the dream. And then Joe is getting real quiet, and I'm like, but you said you had something to say to me. You were going to call me? I always call him. He never called me. But uh, he said, yeah, yeah. A couple nights ago, God told me to call Richard Rumble. And I'm like, 
get out of here. You heard from God. And, and he's like, I did. And I'm like, does he have a deep voice? What does he sound like? And he said, well, he said, what, what he told me to tell you was the treasure you're seeking is in the ground at your feet. He had been reading some Henry Nouwen, and that, that was out of what something that Henry Nouwen had, had written. But boy, I tell you, the coincidence of that, 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 that was big time, big time affirmation. So I want to stop talking about me and I want to talk about us. So instead of where do I go from here, I'd like to know where do we go from here. Um, but departing Richmond Hill, um, this is a big deal on a level way more substantial than I can uh, fathom. And after 11 years here at the Hill, my stability that I was looking for is woven in, and I am held by this place. You know, another rule lesson, location, vocation, those things are inextricably tied. So I'm in a dilemma. I can't stay, but I don't want to leave. So makes me wonder, uh, does a full-term fetus have feelings like this toward the end of the final trimester? <laughs> I'm about to be born again, and I'm a little bit distraught imagining life without the familiar. So what's the way out? What's the way out? So look, look, look at the lesson tonight about Jacob. Um, the brother was on the lamb. He, he had, um, he'd done some dealings, and, and my recollection, and it could be spotty, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he was on the run. He, he, uh, he was terrified of his older brother, who he cheated out of the birthright, and I don't know what else he had done. Jacob was... Uh, he was, as my dad would say, a slick whistle. <laughs> but um, what Jacob discovered in this story was Jacob discovered liminal space. He was, the brother was in liminal space. I'm going to break that down. Lyman, liminal, Lyman is Latin for threshold. It's a noun, and it means the uh, sill of a doorway or the entrance to a house or a building. It's any place or point of entering or beginning. It's the threshold, maybe, of a new career. In psychology and physiology, it's the point at which a stimulus is of sufficient intensity to begin to produce an effect. Threshold of consciousness. A low threshold of pain. Okay, what are... The liminal space, it's the time and or place between what was and next. It's important, and it's very uncomfortable. Given that discomfort, how do we, how can we occupy the liminal? In a word, gracefully. 
Ah, gracefully. So good. So simple, right? But that's actually not very helpful. So, what tactics might we employ or deploy? Uh, Maybe we could just wait it out. You know, wait for the situation to change. But what I found that sometimes waiting is best when it's not a passive activity. So I'd like to share three quick lessons I learned from my dad. Dad was career Navy, and uh, uh, he was an old salt, and he loved, loved, loved sailing. When he was, he was born in Coronado, uh, you know, San Diego, and apparently when he was four or five years old, he went down to the Hotel Dell, a nice hotel, and uh, he and some of his kids, I sort of picture the little rascals, they got hired by the Hotel Del Coronado to sail boats off the beach. They just tacked back and forth because it was picturesque and the people in the restaurant liked it and the people on the beach said, well, God, these kids are doing it. We can do that. So anyway, Dad loved, he loved to sail. And... Uh, I did not get to spend as much time in the boat with him as I would have liked. But I did get a couple of lessons from him. So the the first thing I would offer to you is when you're in the liminal, pick a point of sale. And I'm not talking about S-A-L-E, like the end cap at the grocery store. No, I'm talking about point of sale, which is a direction. I got in the boat with him. Uh, He had this 19-foot Rhodes day sailor that could take three or four people. And every time we'd go home, uh, he'd say, who wants to go out for a a little sail? Who wants to go? Who wants to go? And I'd I'd go with him. Uh, My siblings were were done with that, but I, I didn't get to see him or do it that much. So I remember going out with him and uh, kept the boat at Crystal Lake, which is a small body of water, but you you can have fun on that water. And uh, we got out, we got underway, and he said, would you like a turn at the tiller? And I'm like, sure. So we switch, and I'm in the back, and he's questioning, what what am I doing? Um, So there there are other stories about that that I don't have time to go into, but he... Uh, I said, well, Dad, he said, well, you're luffing, uh, which means your sails are kind of hanging. And he's like, uh, where, where are you headed? And I'm like, I don't know, Dad. I guess the other side. And he said, too vague, too vague. Look off the bow. What do you see? And I said, well, I see a bunch of trees. And he said, that's not helpful. That's too vague. Look closer. I'm like, oh, Okay. Well, I see a real big tall pine tree next to the water tower. And he said, great, make that your point of sale and aim the boat at that. Now, just because you're aimed at it doesn't mean you're going to get there. But if you have a point of sale, you can tell whether you're on course or off course. So point of sale, it's all about discernment, sift and sort. Where do I want to go? Where do I want to go? Where do we want to go? We're sifting and sorting right now big time. But you can sift and sort till the cows come home. 
you, you can't just do the discernment. The discernment has got to include deciding. You have got to pick. And that's hard. But it's only hard if you think about it too much. It's only hard if you think it's got to be perfect. Because, like, with, once I picked the thing and Dad said, good job, you're, you're I'm like, yeah, but Dad, what happens when I get, <laughs> when I get to the water tower? And he said, well, you pick another point of sale. So it's not a done deal. But it does require you thinking about it and acting on it. Second point, maintain an even strain. Uh, <clears throat> this one isn't about small boats, this is about big boats. Uh, ships in the Navy deploy for months at a time. These boats are not big enough to keep all the food, oil, gas. Uh, they, they, you know, they, they can't survive that stay in the, in the ocean without being replenished. So there are special boats that go and refuel or restock uh, the carriers, the destroyers, the cruisers. And it takes some real sharp seamanship, collaboration to maintain an even strain. Because what you've got to do is you've got to come together and you've got to be close enough that you can fire a line across to the other boat, secure it, and then across that line go bags of uh, food or hoses with fuel. And when I say maintain an even strain, you've got to match knot for knot, which is speed, exactly. You've got to be running in perfect tandem, perfect collaboration. If you're a little bit slow, the line breaks and you've got an oil spill. If you're not paying attention to where you're pointing, you break the line. So you gotta, you got to be in tune with those who are supplying you and with those who you are supplying. Maintain an even strength. Last thing is follow the energy. Follow the energy. Back to the sailboat. Sailboats have things on them called telltales. They're just a little strip of, of cloth. It's on a stay or something that would uh, support the mainsail. And you can tell by the telltale which way the wind is blowing. And the wind, you know, Scripture says we don't know where the wind blows. Nobody knows that. It's always shifting. And you've got to pay attention to that. So the indication is when you're not paying attention, your sail, instead of being full, will luff. It just, it, it's just the most pathetic thing. A luffing sail is, is sad. Yeah, so pick a point of sail, maintain an even strain, and follow the energy. And if you're luffing, stand by to come about, which just means you've got to change direction because the way you're going ain't going to get you there. So number four, why does it matter? We, all of us, make plans, and plans change. And the psalmist knew that. The psalmist knew that 
the changing of the plans puts you right smack dab in the, in the liminal space. Um, the psalmist knew about that, but the psalmist also knew a lot about God's providence and God's plans. And there's a window at St. James Church. Um, and if you're in the uh, sanctuary uh, facing the altar, the window's about in the middle of the church. It's Jesus in the garden. Resurrection Jesus. It's a uh, Tiffany window, so it's, 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 it's special. It's, it's beautiful. And Jesus is standing there looking probably like the way Mary saw him, Mary Magdalene. And um, you know it's after the resurrection because his hands are out and you can see the nail marks if you look. But there's something about the way he's standing there and his posture. He's got one hand that's sort of leading you on, but with the other hand, he's kind of pushing you. And I think if you go back to Psalm 139, you'll see where that is. You'll see where that is. So I'm going to wrap it up now. And uh, what I'd like to leave you with is three things. The first thing is a letter from Talhard to Chardin, Pierre Talhard to Chardin, a Jesuit. Um, he, what a guy. You know, he was a little bit ahead of his time. The church wasn't ready for Talhard, and they shut him down. Uh, they took all his books off library shelves. They wouldn't let him back in the classroom. But the brother had a big vision an amazing vision, and I think he may be a 20th century prophet, and we, we sh should pay attention to Teilhard. But um, he served in World War I. He was a uh, stretcher bearer, and in 1915, he was writing faithfully uh, his cousin, Marguerite. And what I'm going to read you is a poem that he wrote to her on July 4th in 1915. It's called Patient Trust. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We're impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet, it is the law of all progress that is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. That's the law. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what time that is to say, grace and circumstance, acting on your own goodwill, what time will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit, gradually forming within you, will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you, and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense, and incomplete. 
Second thing I'll read for you comes from Mark Nepo. And the residents here know I like to get up early in the morning. I make the coffee and sit in the refectory. And part of my rule of life is to use some of that time to reflect. I do it through reading, through writing, and uh, through drawing. But uh, there are two books that are always on the table. Uh, Nepo wrote a book. Wow. Brenda, what's the name of the book? Yeah, what is it? The Book of Away. Thank you. Gosh, senior moment. Yeah. My, Brenda gave me a copy of that, and it's falling apart. It's so, it's so well used. But this from Mark Nepo. I've been finding it in every path, in every way, in Martin Buber's sense of I thou where only in keeping what is between us real can God appear. In the gift of Jesus, where two or more of you come together, there I am. In the one compassion of Buddha, in the numinous love that the ancient stones emanate if we're still enough to bow to them. Ubuntu, I am because you are even in how we live off the breath of plants. You are because I am, even in how the plants live off our exhalations. And my closing thought is from the cloud of unknowing. Farewell, spiritual friend. Go with God's blessing and mine. I pray that God will give you true peace, sensible guidance, and spiritual comfort. May God's grace always be with you and with all those on earth who love God. Amen. Amen.